Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into the podcast. I just want to take a moment to mention the podcast sponsor, retrogamestore.com.au. Head over there for all your Game Boy refurbish and repair needs. Screens, shells, buttons, and all the bits and pieces. And there's a complete custom build made to order service as well. Also, plenty more retro gaming goodness like video cables, display stand and power supplies, controllers, etc. And you can add the code PIXELPI at checkout to get 10% off your order. Also, take a moment to say if you enjoyed this episode and haven't already, give it a subscribe or follow and a review where you can. And maybe you want to recommend the Pixel Pie podcast to anyone you know that would enjoy it. That'd be really appreciated. So, thanks for listening. And now let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Joe Bleeps, and you are listening to the Pixel Pie podcast. G'day, Joe. Joe Bleeps. How you doing, buddy? Hi, I'm all right. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for having me on. No, no. Thanks for coming, mate. Uh, like I've, I've sort of, we were discussing just, uh, just sort of a little bit before the episode, I'll try and get all of my sort of fanboyness out of it. I know that you're a very humble guy, but y- your name comes up a lot when I talk to Game Boy modders that have been around a bit. And I think a lot of people sort of owe um, just little bits and pieces, a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of technical knowledge to Joe Bleeps. And I'm really, really stoked to have you here to chat with me and to share a bit more, Joe, with us. Oh, thank you. It's, it is always strange when I hear my name mentioned with things like that, because no matter which end of the spectrum I'm at, I've always felt like a bit of a, a noob, like a bit like a learner with all of these things. And I, I still always feel like I'm going that way. Like when I first started off and I'm hitting people up for advice, I yeah. felt like I was kind of you know, in the presence of all these people who knew what they were doing. And then now I've been doing it for ages there's all people coming out with like amazing new mods and creations yeah. and ideas that are way beyond what I can do. So whichever yeah, yeah. way things go, yeah. I always feel like I'm uh, happily on, on the back foot with it. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny having my name mentioned as, you know, influencing other people, but it's nice, you know, it's yeah. a nice feeling. I, I think it's a really, really uh, commendable attitude to have too, to always be in that position where I don't know everything and I'm always willing to learn and I can always look to others and sort of go, well, that's really cool. Cause that to me, that tells me that you actually appreciate it for what it is, not what it can do for you. Um, We see that in many aspects of life. You know, there's a lot of, it's almost human nature that we, we want to be an athlete so that the crowd loves us and, you know, we can sign jerseys, (laughs) but when someone plays for the love of the game and then gets to that point where they're, you know, they're doing camps for kids and things like that. They're giving back. So um, I really appreciate that sort of humble attitude. Now um, you've got a few aspects. Uh, most of what I get about someone who's from their Instagram is a few aspects of, of Joe that I would like to cover. Um, I just saw a ramble them off. I've just taken a few notes here. Uh, yeah. Freestyle skating, chip tune, uh, retro tech mods, which, um, it doesn't specifically point at Game Boys, which obviously has been a large part of Joe Bleeps, but yeah, yeah. it opens it up to other other retro tech uh, toys. And, and then down the bottom, I'll put Game Boy. So um, and then when I go through, I like I look at stuff, I'm like, say, uh, you're early 40s. And I'm like, look at this guy with the, the Boba Fett, 
the the OG Boba Fett and the the Master Universe Grayskull uh, reissue and just all this gnarly stuff that kind of like twelve year old me would have just there's a picture here with a bunch of your um, don't get me don't take offense musical mixing equipment and and there's a there's a transformer there uh, what's his name Soundwave is is there I was like. Oh, this dude is living the dream. So um, <laughs> let's kind of go in. I just way. never really progressed being age nine, really. <laughs> just, just got a bigger budget. I, I stopped and my body just got a little bit more uh, worn out each year. But yeah, I stayed mentally about nine since then. So you, yeah, I don't it, think I'm ever planning on changing from that either. You have to grow old, but you don't have to grow up, Joe. That's right. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's go back a bit to uh, sort of like, I guess, nine-year-old Joe seems to be a, a key point where you've, and sort of give us, fill us in on as much as you want on like where it all started and what you were doing as a, you know, where you grew up and and, and how that affected your hobbies today. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a funny one because I was never really super into video games. Like, uh, you know, loads of people I am friends with now who are into retro gaming and video games were like yep. massively into it when they were younger. Yep. And I was never really that obsessed with it i liked it it was around and i played on it but as as with most things i felt like i was no good at it and i was always very hesitant so if i was around at someone's house and they had a you know games console set up i would happily sit and watch everyone else play rather than mm. have a go and mm. be really bad at it or, or whatever yeah, yeah, else yeah. but at the same time it was part of my childhood and part of my growing up and the same with like you know your, your saturday morning tv and, and the music of the time and everything mm. else that nostalgia kind of takes you back to those happier, more innocent times. Yeah. And there's definitely that sort of appeal to it. And also, you know, there were, there were massive changes in gaming in general. Like it was, you know, through the 80s, like from the start of the 80s to the end of the 80s, start of the 90s to the end of the 90s. I mean, there were massive giant steps taken in gaming. So yeah, things yeah. became a kind of retro feel quite quickly. You know, we can compare it now to like some games that are coming out brand new compared to ones that were on the Xbox 360. And mm. then you look at, you know, the sort of leaps within the 90s and early 2000s in, yeah, in the great. same amount of years. Great. There were bigger changes. So it was exciting times. And it was nice to latch on to the older stuff. And then there was the arcade. And then when it kind of reached about, I mean, I'm, I'm leaping all over the place, but I'll, I'll start to go a bit more chronological. Yeah in a bit um but you know it was like when it reached around the point of the dreamcast where you could genuinely have like actual arcade games at home it's like yeah yeah been lots of different things that really kind of got me excited during my time of gaming but if i go right back the first kind of video games that we had in the uk were largely like home computers we didn't yeah. have a lot in the way of the consoles in america you know yeah 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 so we had um first computer we had as a family was uh, an Amstrad CPC yep. 6128 yep. Um, and it had the same sort of games as everyone with the Speckies and Commodores and everyone was convinced their platform was the best and, and yeah, all that yeah. but you know it, it's one of those like you just got whatever your parents had bought and that was what you had really there were very yep. few kids who could actually read up and make the choice and decide oh I'm going to get that one it was usually yep. just you know what was there um, and even right from back then like we had this random plug-in for that called a multi-phase two and it was like you could uh put a disc in or or load up a game and if there was a key point when it's just loaded and you press a button and then you swap the disc around and you could make copies of games and things like that Wowzers. so even right from my very beginnings of 
using gaming hardware, there was that aspect of tinkering with them, of being able to circumvent things or do things slightly differently. And sure. that I always found that almost just as fascinating as, as playing on the games themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then as we got older, it was um, the Amiga was, was the massive one. Uh, when I was at high school and all my friends yeah. had, had those. And again, getting blank, huge stacks of blank discs and swapping games here, there. And yeah, everywhere. yeah. Um, the Amiga's a then, funny one, isn't it? Like it was a, definitely a step, like similar. I was probably in around grade eight or, or probably a grade nine at high school when I, the mm-hmm. Amiga, a friend of mine had an Amiga. I was like, just said that I was doing a podcast. I'm talking about um, the game Barbarian. And if you kind of yeah. went... If we did it right, you actually did this like spinning sword thing and cut the head off and a little troll come out and kick the head off the screen. And I was like, I totally forgot about that. And he was sort of saying, it looks stupid now, but in the day, like that was a gaming achievement. Um, <laughs> and I, I really, I, the Amiga is one of those things. It's that real bridge. I mean, the first time I heard of the internet was a buddy of mine was a bit older. We used to go and hang out with, I mean, I had my license and he was on the internet communicating with people in the other, other part of the world on an mm-hmm. Amiga. So the Amiga was that. The, the space shuttle was around and all yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah. Well, the thing I the thing I loved about the Amiga was the, the homebrew scene. I yeah. mean, I never made games, but I love the, you know, like if you wanted to get a new game, you were spending a lot of money on that game, which is why you ended up, you know, with kids at school swapping discs and yeah. you know, that sort of thing. But although we had these, these copied games and things like that, for me, it was always like you could go out and buy a magazine that would have like these cover discs on it. And it'd have hundreds of these homebrew games mm. that people have made themselves. Mm. I'd, I'd, just love playing those. I'd just mm. sit for hours on these really random little indie games that people have just made in their bedrooms. <laughs> and there was just a huge wealth of those sort of games on the Amiga that yeah. you could explore. It's amazing um, that the industry survived as long as it did. I mean, there's the <laughs> whole kind of like console wars, you know, Atari crash and all that sort of stuff. You can go on about that stuff for ages. But in reality, in Europe, because of that home computer market, it, it wasn't as such an impact. Uh, everyone just sort of kept tapping away, you know, go to 20 and, you know, poke and, and prod and all that sort of stuff. And it kind of kept going. But the stories of just going to boot sales and just, uh, you know, a quid for a game and a quid for a game is like, how the hell did it just last as long? There must have been so many little software houses and developers that just came up and disappeared. I, I think about that, um, that, uh, what's that show on Netflix, the one where you, uh, Bandersnatch, did you watch that? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a a very typical, like, here's a dude. He kind of looks a bit like a record kind of label guy. And he just gets a bunch of young programmers, keeps them full of coffee and cigarettes. And they're just in there, like, (laughs) punching away, knocking out games. And I assume that's pretty much what it was like. It's, it's yeah I mean it, it's definitely one of those industries where people are in it for the love of, of doing what they do and although you can dream of, of getting rich it's yeah. um, you know like with being in music and everything else you have to make it really big to really yeah. get those successes yeah. you, you yeah. have to do it because you love doing it you know yeah yeah um, it's fun- it's funny before you're talking about that massive sort of change in technology. Like if you look at say from 89, when the, when the Game Boy came out 10 years after that 99, you know, where the world was at in gaming, but then you sort of look at say the Wii U was released in 2012, 11 years later, the difference between a Wii U and a PS5 is phenomenal. Like yeah. there's, yeah. there's massive steps. And that period was one of those steps where we went from the Game Boy screen of like a, a not even a front lit kind of like hold it in the, you know, where the lights got it to mm. whatever was in 99, like 
massive steps, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at maybe PS3 to PS4 to PS5. I mean, it's largely the same games, arguably. They're just yeah. shinier and it loads quicker. Yeah, but you, yeah. comp- you know, like you say, 89 to 99, you've got the difference between like the Game Boy and the Dreamcast. Well, well, so, Marvel yeah, vs. Capcom on your couch. Yeah. You know, that, like you said, arcade at home. Phenomenal. Cool. That was that was a really exciting moment for me. That when I realised, you know, so I think it was like Hydro Thunder or something. I saw yeah. playing on a demo kiosk in Toys R Us, and I was like, "It's it's it's, it's the arcade." Whereas, like, because a lot of games were based on, you know, like home console games were very much about getting value for money, about having games that would last you hours and hours and hours, and, and... and the sort of quick fix arcade. It appealed to you know the sort of get the sensibility of the sort of games I'd grown up playing. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that I could have that at home was yeah, yeah that was exciting. And not keep putting coins into the machine and just do it for hours and hours. <laughs> what you could do in your bedroom with a Dreamcast would cost you like a hundred bucks, you know, or whatever on a Saturday to to get through a metal slug or whatever the game was that was just milking <laughs> yeah. you. No worries. All right. So sort of fast forward a little bit then to um uh, like obviously, like I said, there's a lot of stuff you've got, you know, like a a Castle Grayscale. I'm going to assume because the box is in such good shape, uh, that's a one of the reissue Grayscales. Oh yeah, that's that's the new one. Yeah, yeah, I've got the I've got my original one from when I was a kid as well. No the way. New one, I was like, yeah, I, with the new one, I was like, I saw it in in the store, and I knew that they were scarce. Yeah, and I was like, I don't need this, but if I don't buy it now. I, I might be there in a week's time scouring everywhere trying to find it fruitlessly. Oh, they're, wow. they're, they are two in the store. And I thought, well, if I get it and I change my mind, I can probably sell it anyway. No yes. full well that I wasn't going to sell it. Yes. And then I got it. And like I say, there were two in that store. And then I did a stock check on the, the store's website um, the other day. And they had like two left in the whole of the UK. So I was like, wow. yeah, all right, that was, that was the right chairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, did you unbox it or is it sealed? Or Oh, yeah. Yeah, you play with it. box, set yep. up, played with. Oh, yeah, good. Be done. That's I think good. Th- this is, it, you know, this whole thing of having things boxed and sealed, I can understand because, you know, it's that moment when you first get that thing, you buy yes. it and bring it home from the store yes. or you unwrap it at Christmas. And it's that moment of having it in the box. And what we do is, you know, we get our Star Wars toys at Christmas. We rip yeah. them out of the box. Everything gets thrown away. Yeah. We play with the toys for years and we love the toys, but we've got that fondness for that that untouchable moment of having yeah. the box. So I can no see why people are obsessed with yeah. having all these things packaged in the yeah. box and, and that moment, the packaging. And, you know, I'm guilty of it from time to time. I've got like um, an original fully boxed Game Boy that's exactly the same as the one I got when I was, you know, however old I was at the time when, yeah. when it first came out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's not sealed. It, I've opened it up and, you know, got everything out, but I keep it in there just for that, that nostalgia. Yeah. But I think... I did go through a phase of obsessing over having box things and, you know, thinking about having these toys and keeping them in the packaging. And it's, it's a strange thing really, because you kind of living through your life, denying yourself the joy of items. Especially with sealed. Yeah. It's like you, you are denying yourself that. And then, you know, what's going to happen? You die and it's all left there and it's probably going to be dropped off at a charity shop. And that's yeah. that. And it's like, it's not like you take it with you. So yeah. you're only here for a certain amount of time and you, you, you know, living in denial like that yeah. just seems random. I, it was one of those, like, you just had one of those moments of thinking like, 
why why am I sitting looking at this thing? Yeah. <laughs> Not just ripping it open and playing with it for a bit yeah. and having that bit of joy and then then yeah. moving on. So and there's a there's a yeah, different I don't tend to do much with that that sort of sealed games yeah. and, and, and there's, a, there's a different type of attachment too. Like um a little while back my, my daughter and I went through a big Pokemon card phase and we built up a bunch of uh folders and stuff and everything and I bought one of the um champions path elite trainer boxes and like in in some of those there's a charizard that i know would go for about a thousand bucks so i bought this elite trainer box and i was like i'll just keep it i'll leave it sealed it cost 150 bucks and i had no intention of ever opening it and at some point i'll I'll sell it i'm not opening it and my daughter's like let's open it it might be in there because a buddy of mine we bought him at the same time and he got the charizard and he's like he made like thousands of dollars off some of the cards he got um and i've had to take that thing and put it up on my shelf behind some other things and stash it away and i haven't enjoyed it one bit yeah yeah I, I'm, it. it goes I'm, up on display you dust it now and again and not it. even that it's behind like a bunch of big like eight inch ninja turtles and my tetris box <laughs> and all that stuff it's it's hidden away i just i don't want to see it it actually it actually reminds me of what really annoys me about that market that buying to resell to yeah. like pokemon cards kind of gave me a lot of joy to share with my daughter but also kind of made me feel a little bit sick about the way people go about the business of buying and yeah. selling pokemon cards but it was stacks of fun but I, I see what you mean you buy it you love it if it stays in the box and, and me personally i would i am so um like pessimistic that Anything that someone's trying to sell me is sealed in box, never been opened. Mm. I'm just so skeptical. I just well, because you can reseal things so neatly now. Absolutely, we've been to the moon, dude. You tell me you can't put a bit of plastic <laughs> bag around a box and tell me it's never been opened. You know, come on. Anyway, I've got well, you know, I've got one sealed game, um, which is a copy of Metro Fusion on the Game Boy Advance. Oh, gorgeous. Um, and the only reason that that is sealed is that. I used to play a lot of my Game Boy Advance games on a flash cart. Yep. Um, so I had my games loaded up and I had my game save file. And I was in Toys R Us one time and they had Metroid Fusion on clearance. I think it was about £12 or something. So oh I God. bought it at the time. I never really got around to opening it because I was halfway through a save game on my flash cart. And then since then, I'd picked up other copies of it in like secondhand shops or car yep. boot sales. So I've got a couple of copies of Metroid Fusion anyway. Yeah. So I never really felt the need to open it. Yes. And it's, it's it's perhaps my well, it's definitely my favorite Game Boy Advance game. It's one of my favorite games ever. So having that as a little piece and knowing that I just bought it from a shop at the time, it's not like I bought it as a sealed item. It's yeah. just quite a fun little curiosity yeah. to have. No, I can, and if I end, if I ever end up really strapped for cash, I know I can sell that one yeah. and you know get a few quid for it. Yeah, so I can totally get into that. That's the only sealed game I've got, apart from a couple of Wii U ones I've just not got around to playing yet. <laughs> oh man, I recently picked up a Wii U, uh, like in the box. Irrelevant. It's just nice to have the box. And um, I did a jailbreak on it, and I'm just playing all these games, and I'm just like, I just can't believe how amazing the Wii U is. I don't own a Switch. I'm not there yet. Mm. Um, the announcement of Dread that dates this particular episode, yeah. I'm probably going to buy a Switch because of that. Mm. I'm like about 80%. I've got like three Metroids left in um, Samus Returns and the 3DS. Like Such a good game. Like last night, this last week I've spent, I, ha- I have half an hour for lunch. I run to my car and I've been trying <laughs> to get through um, that sort of first Amiga Metroid and then the Diggernaut. And I've battled yeah. all bloody week. <laughs> 
And I finally, I kind of watched after about maybe four or five hours of trying, I'm like, I'll just watch a dude do it. I've still got to physically do it. And I watch him. I was like, right, I see what has That's to be done. That's the toughest part of the game, isn't it? That big and all. Yeah. And well, I've just got past him. And now I'm like, and so last night I went to bed about 9.30 and then I, um, I'm laying in bed and my wife came to bed and I was like, you get woke and you're like, oh, now I'm kind of awake. So I came into my room. <laughs> just have a quick and I, Yeah. And it's like, that was 10.30. 126. I looked at the clock and I was like, headphones on, yeah, like as quiet as I could be. I beat that bloody digging or oh my god, it's probably the best gaming experience. Zero mission was the best game I'd ever played in my life. Yeah, I this like has that. been so great. Um, and I may buy a switch, so um, but I gotta play Fusion. Fus- Fusion's before. next after I've got through this, take a little break. Have you played Fusion before? No, it's next. <sighs> oh. Yeah, you're in for it. it's Fusion that I will just always have a game save on the go. And if I right. pick up my game by advance, it'll usually have that in it. It's it's just such a good game. And yeah, Dread is like a direct sequel to it. It picks yep. up directly after it. So it'll be a good one to play. I'm super you, excited. Yeah. All right. So Game Boys then. So when did, um? let's just get a little bit back on track because I don't care yeah, where okay. we go. No, no, this, this slots in quite nicely. Yeah, I don't care where um, we go, but... um. When, when did you sort of start getting into um, picking up Game Boys and refurbishing them and kind of becoming, because Joe Bleeps, I think, probably leans as much towards the, the chip tuning and the making music with the Game Boys. But obviously, yeah. you had to start somewhere with a Game yeah, Boy. Yeah, it all kind of happened around the same sort of time. That So to go back, I mean, in terms of Game Boys, um, as I say, I grew up with like, you, you know, the Amstrad and the Amiga yep. and then other people started getting, you know, the there was the odd person with the NES or the Master System. And then I had a lot of these little, you know, like the little LCD handheld games. Yeah, a little game of what it used things. to be about. Yeah. And I, I still remember somebody at school telling me about this Nintendo Game Boy. And it's like, it's like one of those, but you can swap the games. So I was like, oh, that sounds good. And then yeah. when I actually saw it and held it, I was like, oh, this is, it's like, it, it just felt so space age to have, mm. like, it wasn't just like the the game and watch where you've got like the predetermined things that could be on or off screen at any given time it was like it was proper pixels it was proper games yeah. within this thing and you know i grew up with with two younger brothers and a younger sister and in our right. household it was like if you had a computer oh, you were the big brother have... with the game yeah i was yeah, yeah so it yeah. was like it was one of those where everyone had to have their fair share and their turn and everyone was in everyone else's face all the time and having this thing where i could just be on my own in my own space i didn't have a tv in my room or anything like that all that was elsewhere so having that as an escape i think that was the point where i went from having played computer games to really being into them and the fact that i could sit on my own and not be always i was always wary of people watching me play games because i thought i'd suck but when i started playing on my own I realized I was actually quite good. Like my scores on Tetris were pretty high compared yeah. to a lot of people I knew. Yeah. I was actually starting to complete games like Super Mario Land and my confidence went up with the gaming and I actually started really enjoying them. And it was from there that everything sprung up. So fast forward however many years it is, when I discovered that you can use Game Boys for making music. So it was this like late teens or? So what for the, no, no, that was, that was relatively recent. I think it was around 2012 I started right. getting into relatively that. Recent. So it's a, it's a huge fast forward. So, you yeah. know, in the time since 
getting into my Game Boy and loving that. I was always on like, you know, the, the Game Boy Color, the Game Boy Advance, the Game Boy Advance SP onto the DSs. I was always obsessed with the Nintendo handhelds. Always yeah. have been. I think nobody does it quite like Nintendo on no. in terms of the handhelds. Yeah. And then there was the Mega Drives and Super Nintendo. Loved all of those. I was properly into consoles from there. PlayStation, PlayStation 2. Since, since the Game Boy, and falling in love with video games and really clicking with video games. Yeah. I've pretty much had every console at, at any given point. Yeah. Um, and in terms of modifications, I got into modifying those because we in the PAL territories were fine with what we had until the internet came along and told us how good everybody had it on the NTSC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they had the full speed games with the full screen and you suddenly oh. boot up your Super Nintendo and you look at the screen and you think, oh yeah, we got these bars at the top and bottom and you, oh, you see these yeah. videos of how it should play. And then with at the least internet, you, got you know, yeah, we were lucky with Scott. We had our yeah. RGB, so, but it yeah. felt it felt wasted <laughs> on it. Yeah. You know, if you, if you had like, the full screen, full speed, and the SCART. So I started to get obsessed with all of that. And that was the first sort of modding I really got into, which was, you know, because the internet was there, there were tutorials there. So I could mm. find out what parts I needed. I could follow mm. those. I could open up mm. these consoles. And, you know, the first mods I was doing was things like the 50 hertz, 60 hertz switch um, to get the full screen display on, on Mega Drive and Super Nintendo. Right. Um, region lockouts. And so you yeah. could play like Japanese and USA cartridges and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So they, they were the first times I was really opening up consoles and getting stuck in with a soldering iron and, and learning mm. how to do all of that. Um, so I had experience of some mods and attempting mod chips and, and that kind of thing. Um, when I started to find out about chiptune. Now, my first part of, of discovering that because it's, it's such a huge genre and knowing what to look for like at first I was going on you know record shops and trying to find examples of chiptune music and it just yeah. wasn't there it's, it's no, kind of no. separate from it it's just not a commercial music scene so yeah. trying to find out what was good and who was good and what's worth listening to was really difficult at first and I found a few things on playlists listened to a lot of stuff on SoundCloud but at, at that point it felt kind of like um listening to ringtones like a novelty really yeah. it was like oh that's quite cool that you can do like a chiptune cover of, of that song and that sort of thing and um it was the fact that i found out that these things were made on modified game boys and i still had quite a few game boys knocking about because i love trolling around car boot sales so i had a mm. decent collection of random bits and pieces i'd found mm. so i had a few older game boys some that i could take apart and start to modify and um again there's tutorials online so i started mm. looking at things like these pro sound mods which sounds a lot fancier than it is a pro sound mods just basically bypassing your your headphone amp so you get a cleaner audio signal right right like, that was the big one with chiptune because you do and that would take out some of the hum and stuff voice. that you get because of the, yeah, the yeah. running off the same power lines and things so like it's that. it's quieter but it's cleaner so if you run it through a mixer or an amp then it comes through much much better yeah uh, and then also like you said before about the screens the fact that you, you couldn't see those in a in a dimly lit room so it was yep trying to find out about backlighting those screens. So yeah. one of the first mods I did was I took like um, a front light out of a broken Game Boy Advance SP and transplanted it into a Game Boy Color, like over the top of the yeah, screen. Right, right. So that kind of lit it up. Uh, so that was before all of these IPS and AGS screens yeah, and yeah. came along. I can imagine um, when I was talking to Joseph about, um, uh, you have to remind me the program that he used, but you're basically programming like on the Game Boy. And yeah. What was that? What would be the one that he LSDJ? Yeah, that's right. And if yeah. you couldn't see what the hell was going on, 
I mean, that's a laborious process as it is. Yeah, I, and I think particularly if you're playing live shows, they're all in like dimly lit rooms. And I've, <laughs> I've seen people with like the old worm lights and things over the top of the screen. It's like, it's just, uh, you're making like very difficult bro. for yourself with that. <laughs> so yeah, the backlit screens are uh, crucial for that. So anyway, yeah, so I, I got into doing that just simply because I could. I mean, I've always had a tendency to, if, if there's something I can take apart and interfere with, I'll take it apart and interfere with it. It's just, I, I enjoy that, that process. Mm. So when I found out you could modify these Game Boys, I was like, all right, I've got to try that. So then I had these modified Game Boys and I'm like, well, I may as well try out this music software. So I got a flash cart and I got LSDJ and put it on there and followed a few tutorials and got a few tunes working. And it was, it was quite good fun. But then the, the tipping point was when I went to a sort of chiptune festival. Um, that seems bonkers. Superbite. Yeah. A festival. So this was, this was in, in the UK. It was a one day event. Uh, it was in Antwerp Mansion in Manchester, so it's like this really run-down, old, huge mansion. It yeah. was, it was like, honestly, as a day, it was so surreal. It was like something you'd see in a film or something, and not expect it to actually be real. So, or like, like a real cheap horror film or something. Yeah, it was like this huge, run-down mansion, like, and and there was a full, massive PA and everything set up in there. Huh. And I'd gone because it was like it's build as a whole video game thing so they had like retro gaming consoles set up oh, and there were stalls and people selling stuff and there was the it's music so it was like a whole 8-bit festival sort of thing yeah um and I, I can still remember really vividly it was like oh the first act on now i'm there new to all of this scene loads of the people who were there have been into it for a while and are like super excited and like oh and this, the first act on so everyone piles into the room and then it started and, and the difference between kind of listening to this stuff on my laptop or my phone and thinking, oh, that's kind of a cool little tune, to hearing like the, the proper music being performed live to a crowd through a massive PA, it was like yep. an epiphany. Wow. And having grown up with all the games and everything else, those those sounds just tap right into the nostalgia. Yeah. But you've got the new, really beefy, bassy sounds wow. kicking in and vibrating right through you. And it was just like, Right, this is what I wanted to do. And I've, I've always had... Like, and Joe Bleeps was born. That, that was it. That was, that was the epiphany. I mean, I've always had a... It's, it's like a sort of um, ADHD um, kind of autistic spectrum tendency to just obsess over things and yeah. then just quickly flip over to something else and forget all about it. And that was just took hold at that point. That was going to become my obsession yeah. from there. Um, and... I went home and obsessed over learning how to use the software to make the music that sounded as good. You know, some of the artists that were on there, like watching a, a full live Chipsal set was just amazing. Mm. Um, so I was like super excited about the hardware, about the people, about the different acts, about the, the software and mm. making the music and everything mm. else. And then over the coming years, as I got into it, I think because I was so obsessed I got quite prolific in terms of making the Game Boys. So I modded loads of Game Boys. They had stacks of them. Mm. And then I started to post those on Instagram. And that started to get a bit of traction. And then I got to know people in the Chiptune community and started modding stuff for them. And then they would post about their stuff. And then other people would get in touch with me. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And yeah. it was hand in hand in terms of making the music and doing the mods. And I definitely got... Because I had the experience with it, I had no knowledge at all of making electronic music from, from that starting point. So I had a lot to learn, but I did have a bit of a history with the modding. So I had a bit of an inroad with that 
I started to go to every single live chiptune show that there was. And luckily around that era of sort of 2012 onwards, there were quite a few chiptune shows in the northwest of England around the Manchester and Liverpool area. Mm. So I was going to a lot. I was seeing loads of acts. I was getting to know a lot of people. I was sort of trading a lot of my hardware. So by the time that festival came around the next year and the year after, I ended up like I performed my first set on the open mic night. Um, I had a stall set up and was selling some of my Game Boys one year and mm. then ended up like I did a, a workshop on right. how to use the software on yeah. another year. So it was like I got more and more involved with that scene. Doing that workshop ended up, ended up leading on to taking part in um, a radio documentary for BBC Radio 4 about chiptune music. Yeah, right. I had a full day working at the BBC contributing to that. So it was, it was a really cool thing because I never tried to be someone within it. I wasn't like trying to be that well-known person within it, yeah. but it just kind of came together really. You were just really passionate and it just yeah. made doors and, open for you. And I was, I was lucky because I knew so many people because I'd made all the hardware and people knew who I was. I was very lucky in terms of getting booked for live shows because people knew me. And although I thought my music probably sucked, it was like people would say, yeah, you can come and play my show. So I'd open up on, on certain shows and oh. I'd get my chance to play some live shows as well, which I think is is a really difficult thing for people to, to do if you're making yeah. your own music to actually yeah. make the inroads to get booked. So creating the hardware, I think, helped get my foot in the door with, with that yeah. side of it as well. Yeah. I just want um, to um, sort of like um, get a bit more of an understanding of um the, the 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 process like obviously there's a difference between because i'm looking through your instagram i'm seeing images of like a bench covered in mixing gear and you with the keyboard guitar and there's a game boy sitting there oh my god but, but my, not, my but instagram is not going to help you understand <laughs> well, i tried to get this from joseph do, as well yeah. because like there's yeah. this concept of like when i you know like a dj used to be like a couple of decks a couple mm. of records mixing them yep. together listening ahead bringing this in, knowing that's going to fit and knowing the result's going to be in their head. And then I'm like, so with a Game Boy, are you doing something similar? Are you pre-tracking it? These days, a DJ, realistically, is probably taking a laptop with a bunch of pre-mixed stuff and could, for what, for what it matters, it could be one massive MP3 file that goes for six and a half hours and Ibiza bounces and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you explain to me and us what you're actually doing with the Game Boy. Because yeah. Joseph explained it where it's like, I basically kind of run a track and I go bleep, 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 bleep. And then I go bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop. And he just starts adding and he's got four channels. But obviously mm -hmm. there's a lot more to that. And how does that translate yeah. when you're doing it and live? there's different ways of doing it as well. Okay, yeah. so, well, first of all, just going back, it, I've, I really pity anyone who uses my, my Instagram as, a, as trying to find an inroad as to what I do, because I think a lot of people will set up different Instagrams for different aspects of what they're into. So then maybe I've like their, you know, their gaming Instagram and their, their right. modding Instagram, yeah. whereas I just post whatever I feel like doing on yeah. any given day. And as I say, I have these absolute obsessions. So I might be like months and months and months of posting yeah you know like modifying super nintendos and then that'll just stop and then there'll be something else yeah yeah, yeah. So, mine's the same you know, if you look at the last seven years it's like the five hobbies i've done for like yeah. two years at a time so it does fluctuate and at the moment yeah one of my obsessions is is sort of expanding my my music output and playing with synthesizers and modifying those and that kind of thing um but that that first taste of making electronic music Aside from the old music and Music 2000 on the PlayStation, which was one of my favourite 
uh, games on that console yeah. was through learning how to use LSDJ on the Game Boy. Um, so that process involves, it's trying to explain it without making it sound confusing because it is quite a steep learning curve on it. But yeah. once you get over that hump, once you actually get a melody from it, you can just keep going and keep going. But in terms of what the software actually does, so the Game Boy hardware has its sound chip or sound chips, and they have four channels of sound. So at any one time, you can have four separate sounds all running at once. Yeah. Uh, you have two pulse wave channels, which is like your bleepy, bloopy kind of sounds, you, yeah. what you would normally associate with your video games. Yeah. Your third channel is your WAV channel, which is like your wave channel which can be like your bass sounds and your um samples and things like that are, are right. handled by that channel yep. so you know like when you're playing ninja turtles and you pause it and it goes pizza time then that's on that wave channel right and then you've also got the noise channel which is just like sort of unfiltered noise just like a static hiss like that kind of or an ocean or a yeah so or... you've got those those four sounds and what the software allows you to do is manipulate those sounds into instruments by creating like the wave shapes. So you might start with your, your noise channel, for instance, would have like that. And if you create a sound that very quickly peaks and then stops, then you get like a snare drum kind of sound, for instance. Right. So that might go like kind of thing. Yeah. And then if you sequence that using the software, and you get another bit of filtered sound that goes like, so you get like, and then yeah. that's on one of your channels. Right. And then your other three channels, you've created other instruments that you sequence into other little loops. And then you have those all running at the same time. And that's how you kind of generate your songs. So that's right. like the, the creative part of the process um <laughs> whittled down to, to something yeah and so can you so they sort of treat sense. them each track's almost like an instrument and then can you can you move it all up and then octaves because i can yeah. remember a, like a friend of my dad well my mum and dad had like a really cool synth and we would just play like i grew up kind of listening to like tubular bells and anybody who knows what i'm yeah, talking about knows yeah. what i'm talking about and so we were basically just you have a microphone we just like a wow and then you just run up and down the keyboard and you're floating around in space making different octaves of that noise yeah. So can you do that? Yeah, you can that? do all that yeah. and you can add like effects to it. So you can run different tables and, and sort of for each instrument, you can, um, you know, you can emphasize those or you can make them decay slightly or you can give a bit of modulation to yeah. them. Yeah. You can change. You could have like a whole section run and then have a key change to them, sort of copy paste that whole section. But the bizarre thing to me was at first, when I first saw it being used, I was thinking people were programming it all on their computer, flashing it to the Game Boy yeah. and playing it. But yeah. it's actually the interface. It's the D-pad, the A and B button, start and select. And that's right. it. That is what's used yeah. for, the, for operating the entire software. So you use like, your select buttons like shift key. Um, so you've got a lot of hotkey combinations going right. on, and double taps and two buttons at the same time. But it becomes right. second nature. After a yep. while, you don't have to think about which is which to the extent that it's very hard to teach someone because when you're trying to explain to someone what to do and you yeah. show them, it's like, how do you how do you copy and paste? I don't know. My thumbs just sort of do it. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> is there a kind of, um, is there a purist kind of like different disciplines within that sort of yeah. culture? There's, there's always going to be people being a bit 
purist and preachy about what is yeah. chip tune and what's yeah. not. And you know, I know people who make music on Amigas, on Atari ST, or use the Game Boy in conjunction with other things, or does the whole lot on Ableton on their laptop. And it doesn't matter. I mean, if, if I enjoy listening to it, I enjoy listening to mm. it. But mm. yeah, there are a lot of purists about it and saying, you know, it's not proper chip tune if it's not this, this, and this. But mm. I never really enter into any of that i mean mm. it's that kind of thing which is why i don't use facebook anymore. yeah yeah, yeah. Where, where's the um the actual, argument platform yeah absolutely <laughs> where's the actual library of sounds is that what's in the game boy ah now this is the thing you can you can get like patches people will share like different it's basically lists of settings but you program them in so it's not like it's not like you download an instrument pack and use it you actually create all of your own instruments from scratch Right. Now, what you could do is create a song, and I did this early on in particular, you create a song, and then you would sort of copy that save file, delete all the music from it, but keep all your instruments so you could kind of use those again. But generally, each time you make a song, you'll end up tweaking those instrument sounds to fit your song anyway. So you get quite right. used to just generating right. a good bass sound or a kick drum or a, yeah. a snare or a hi-hat or whatever. Um, and, you know, you can you can do so much with it and i think that's one of the things that appeals to me is that a lot of this kind of music making software i always found quite overwhelming there's so many different parameters and instruments and things that you can use but when you've just simply got those four channels of sound yeah and that is it and you've got like four or five buttons to control it you're so limited that that really encourages like creativity and problem solving mm. and trying to expand as much as you can from a small but but perfect core yeah. and that appealed to me i found it a lot less overwhelming to start with something small and then get creative and creative and creative with it and, and expand from there yeah so that was one of the things that appealed to me yeah and, all, um, and all, the, all the freedom of like um like i for a while there i played around with something uh cakewalk you know oh yeah yeah and so you're basically you're scaring the net for a bunch of samples and you're kind of dropping them in and six minutes later you've got this horrible noise of 12 samples <laughs> that you're like, oh my God, how did I get here? The first 30 seconds was beautiful. And then it kind of just yep. went to crap. Whereas <laughs> because you've got these finite limitations of a four piece mm. band and it's all being generated within the Game Boy, there's no external kind of rubbish that sneaks in. It's kept yeah. kind of crisp on its own. As a, as a teenager, I was always like really into kind of punk music and pop punk and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you sort of strip down three piece raw music. Yeah, yeah. And I went to loads of punk gigs as a teenager and going to chiptune gigs, there's a very similar sort of vibe to it in terms of that DIY approach to it of, yeah. you know, booking your own shows, playing your own shows and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, so there yeah. was a lot of, of that appeal to me as well and it's like yeah it's like you've got the hardware synthesizer equivalent of a three-piece band you know mm. um so it's good it's good fun with that but to get back to your question about following on from what joseph was talking about um there are different ways of doing it live so there's two modes on lsdj so what i tend to do is the the lazy option which is because i'm such a perfectionist it's about making sure everything's just right so i will have my game boy cartridge with all of my songs that I've created saved on it so it's yeah. very much like a DJ I'll have two Game Boys I'll yeah. have the, the, the two cartridges with the songs on and I'll have a mixer and while one song is playing I'll start queuing up the next one and then get it ready for a smooth transition over into the next one and yeah. then while that's playing I'll queue up the next one so that's very much like your DJ approach and that can be done um, 
So, you know, I think particularly for playing live shows, you're playing with work from 1989. There's a lot that can go wrong. Yeah. And I've, I've been to loads of shows where songs will just cut out halfway through. Things will crash. Things oh, will no. stop working. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll lose save files, whatever else. So, you know, these things can happen. So I forget to change your batteries in your DMG. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Batteries I mean, it seems silly, out. but I it's mean, possible, right? And it's, it's fiddly stuff as well. So like, I will never have a drink if I'm playing a live show until I've finished my set. Yeah. <laughs> because even though it might calm your nerves, you're going to be a shambles because it's it's like precision work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so that's the way I do the live music, but I know a lot of other people will use live mode. And with live mode, you will have like a lot of different sequences pre-programmed in there and you are triggering those live and you might get one starting and then another and then another. So you can right. basically infinitely keep your songs and loops and things things going um, by just triggering those now I'll start this baseline and then I'm moving yep. to this bit and you can link and keep things running on the fly so that's like a halfway between generate you're not generating the music from scratch live you've, you've got these pre-programmed sequences yep. but you're putting them together in various different ways on the fly while you're performing but, and that's pretty brave I mean there's a lot of lock like you said there could be a lot to go off go and miss you know relying yeah. on that process have you I mean, seen it's good though because it it gives you something like to do. Uh, one of the awkward things with it is, and I've seen it a lot <laughs> yeah. of the time, is really essentially you're just pressing play. Yeah. And a lot of us who are creating this music on our own are not really extroverts. You know, it's, it's a hugely introverted scene. So to get yeah. up on stage and start playing this music, it goes against the grain for a lot of us. And yeah. you you have a crowd of quite introverted people as well, and it's hard to get them on board. <laughs> so an awkward it's room. A, a part of the art. Yeah, it's a part of the art. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's calling it an awkward room makes it sound like it's a hostile crowd. And it's no, not, I, I didn't there, is nothing, like, there is nothing yeah. warmer and more loving than a chip yeah. tune crowd because it's yeah. the fact that everyone in there is like, I'm getting to watch chip tune live. This is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you want the crowd to be on board, then you have to lead from the front and you have to get into yeah, it and you have to move yeah. and you have to dance and you have to not worry about looking daft and just really get into it because yeah. you aren't playing your guitar you aren't drumming you just have this game boy in front yeah. of you and you, that's like a prop and if you make that your prop and you have it and you, you know you're keeping an eye on what you're doing yeah. but a lot of the time you're just kind of watching it cycle through and getting ready for the next bit but you have to make it look like you're doing something yeah you can't I... just press play and stand there and go that's my song. Um, <laughs> the next one will be on in a couple of minutes and then yeah. I'll press play again. You can't do yeah. that. You, it, no. It's a whole performance and learning how to do that. Like I say, I've, I've done, I actually lost count of the amount of gigs that I'd ended up doing through those, those few years while I was, I was really into it. And it does seem to have quietened down. I mean, certainly with COVID things, yeah. things have really died down in terms of the live music scene. Yeah. Um, but I was um, not playing quite as many, gigs because i wasn't making quite as much music i was getting into all sorts of other things mm. Um, mm. but i've done like live streams during this time um so i did uh, a whole set of green day covers uh for oh, really show. yeah and i did like a, a tour of um all my gaming hardware and modding stuff quite recently for, for let's just Italian rewind a bit just, so set. you did green right, day covers so what <laughs> yeah you take you listen to a green day song or you kind of get the music or whatever yep. and then you basically do a cover in 8-bit chip tune yep. using a game boy that's it so yeah. do you have like I mean, um do you have spotify albums and stuff that people can go and listen to yeah, I've got stuff on, um, I'm not so much on Spotify. I've got one track on Spotify, <laughs> um, but I'm mainly on um, SoundCloud and um, Bandcamp. 
where I, I post my stuff because you can just post your own user generated content on there and there's no right. you know licensing or anything else like that to, to faff about with so, um, but so in terms would, of what would be the easiest way for someone to kind of get uh, yeah uh, access to um like that sort of stuff is it best to sort of go to your youtube and then redirect like that or um yeah i'll put links on all my youtube videos if you scroll down there's links to my music pages and things okay. like that so yep. yeah that would probably be an easy way of, of going about it and people um, just look up joe bleeps on youtube and just follow the path from there yeah you, if, you, if you google joe bleeps it brings up all the stuff that's that you kind of want probably yeah i was yeah. quite pleased actually a while ago it got to a point where i you know I don't really do vanity searches, but you're just curious to see what sort of hits you're going to get in terms yeah. of the content that you're putting yeah. out. So if a search for Joe Bleeps, like that whole first page is pretty much all my content. Oh, so yeah. I'm quite happy with that. You don't have the um, same name as some sort of like corporate criminal. No, I was lucky that. with that. <laughs> and it was the, the whole thing with the Joe Bleeps name was just like a spur of the moment thing because I started making my own music on a Game Boy. And then the first time I was going to upload it onto SoundCloud, it's like, okay, so what's the artist's name? And I'm like, oh, um, I don't know. I mean, so I'm a teacher and my username was always Joe Teach because that's what my mates called me because they always found it really funny that I became a teacher because it's <laughs> just like I'm the shyest person you'd ever meet. Yeah, um, right. But they always called me Joe Teach. So Joe Teach was my name on, on sort of online stuff for quite a while. And then I was going to put that and then I thought because it's like the bleepy music, Joe Bleeps kind of has a similar yeah. ring to it. And then when I said it, it kind of it's like that sort of generic everyday Joe Bloggs kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. feel to it yeah, as well. So I just kind of, I thought, yeah, that sounds all right. And I put it on and then I was kind of stuck with it from there, really. But it's been good because in this age of Google, it's hard to think of a name for stuff that hasn't already been done. Yeah, and yeah. just by by sheer luck, there's not really anything else out there that's yeah. been called Joe Bleep. So I've ended up with that as my kind of brand yeah. and persona if you like and yeah. it's um for better or worse it's uh it's worked out pretty well i think yeah when um, i was when i was talking to joseph tompkins um i don't think it's all embarrassing i think it's it was a funny thing he said because he did a he did a live show and yeah. you were there and you come up to him or you just you were talking and you're talking about his name, stage name or something and he said joseph tompkins and you said something lines of it sounds really punk and he's like Cool. I'll just stick with it then. So that, so I thought it was great. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone has like, you know, and, and everyone has names that are very difficult to remember. Like it'll be like ZX321ZZZ or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And it'll like, it might look all great on their logo, but it's like, oh yeah, that, that guy, that guy. Yeah. And I just love the fact that, you know, instead of trying to come up with something cool, it was just like, his, his name was just right out there. And it was like, it's the honesty to it and everything. Yeah. yeah. It's a good egg. I, I've got, um, lovely guy but on the, on the way to the show we were chatting about it and saying it's just it looks really cool you've got all these like you know, hyperblast or anyone else's name on the bill and then it's like joseph tompkins <laughs> it's like there's just no pretense about it the yeah. music speaks for itself and his music's awesome yeah. Um, so yeah we really we really like that so I'm, I'm glad he wasn't offended i felt like afterwards i might have um you know felt like i was speaking out of turn with it so oh if, no i if think my was, if my point got across yes and that's yeah. good he yeah. was happy as i've got a couple of joseph's um best car shells a dmg and a pocket and um, you know the laser do etching some stuff. Cool stuff with that. Yeah, one, really it? groovy. Yeah. Um, its postage is really rough in Australia because it just is. Uh, but I was yeah. more than happy to kind of do what I had to do to get those. Um, good egg. Yeah. Um, look, that's it's just I, I, anything that's creative. I just I'm so envious of people because I'm creative, but I'm more creative for function 
Um, I kind of, it's my nature. sort of like, Hey, I need to put something here. If only the shelf was four inches taller. I know I'll just glue four inches of wood underneath each leg. <laughs> that's my creative. You know, I'm more about function than form. Well, that's the, that's the right approach, isn't it? It's like, but at least you're being sensible with it. Like, I'm like, that thing's perfectly fine as it is. How can I interfere with it and make it different? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I hang it from the ceiling. Then it'll be taller. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, look, I think it's really amazing. Um, and another thing that kind of blows me away is um, the freestyle skating. Now that's probably, oh, yeah. that's probably a, a large part of your Instagram. Um, it is at I, the moment. Yeah. And I just, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things, isn't it? And it just blows yeah. me away what you're doing in your backyard there. And um, your, your ankles, dude, like, I just don't know how I would survive. Like I grew up skating. I grew up in Hobart, Tasmania and we skated and I was never a tricky skater couple of little rail grinds and you know a few little sort of things here and there but i was more it was more for transport than anything um but holy cow what you do in your backyard with these skaties is pretty bloody rad um thank you yeah what what, what are you what are you doing like <laughs> what am i doing yeah, yeah. killing myself with it I know. No, just right. to, to, to explain it like as a layman mm. you're, you're doing things like with a skateboard sitting on side on its edge yeah. and then you're standing up on like the the rail of the deck and right. the, and the truck so you kind of got a heel on a on a wheel and a heel on a wheel and then you'll do these things which is like so subtle what the board will do uh, i'm going to be trying to be cool and say like cooper flips and then you yeah, land yeah. with it over here and then you land yeah. with it over there and there's a lot of videos that are winners like there's a succession of tricks that are all linked together but it can't always be that way but holy cow no. you crush it <laughs> It's like a cross between skateboards and hacky sack, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So with that, I mean, I said earlier about the the video games and I wasn't always that into video games when I was younger. And a lot of that is because from about age 12, I was obsessed with skateboarding and loved skateboarding. And skateboarding yeah. has always been the thing that I loved the most. And I've done it on and off over the years, continue to do it. Yep. Never really felt like I'm at, I'm at a point where I don't do it anymore. You know, there's, even if I go through months without skating, there's always one sat in the boot of my car just in case I find a nice park or car park. Yeah, or right. Like that. Yep. Um, but as I was getting older, it was getting harder. <laughs> it was getting harder to get back up when I fall. Mm, mm. Um, when I injured myself, like sprained ankles, twisted knees, mm. things like that were taking a lot longer to heal. And I you know, I was not skating as much at all. And I ended up with real problems with my knees. Mm. Um, I was diagnosed with osteoarthritis. Oh, geez. And also had um, a sort of inflamed tendon that connects the shin to the knee on my, on my left leg. And I was really feeling like, first of all, like for the five or so years before that, I felt like I pretty much learned everything I would ever learn on a skateboard. You know, I'd run out of tricks that I could do and I enjoyed doing those and I'd go to a skate park and I'd have a skate and my knees would kill me for the next few days. Yeah. And then, you know, another few weeks later, I might go out. And that was hard because I was used to, when I was younger, skating all the time and having the muscle memory and being able to do tricks. Yeah. And because I wasn't skating as often, the muscles weren't there. And because the muscles weren't there, the weaknesses were there. And it, it felt like it was, it felt like it was on the way out, really. It felt like I wasn't going to be doing it much oh, more no, that's sad love, when it's something that you love yeah and, and i love 
skateboarding that much that I really wanted to be able to continue doing it for as long as I could. So I was like going to the gym with a personal trainer, trying to do mm. rehab on my knees, trying Strength to work out ways of building up yep. the strength. Yep. And I watched the Game Changers documentary on Netflix about, yep. you know, um, rehabilitation and recovery and strength yep. training on a vegan yep. diet. So I yep. thought, well, there's nothing to lose. I'd been vegetarian a few years before for about yep. five years. I thought, well, how hard is it being vegan? I don't know. I'll try it. Yeah. Um, and that was about a year and a half ago. And I'm, I'm still doing it now. And it yep. made a, a dramatic change. And I think it's not just the vegan diet i think you've got to take all that sort of thing with a pinch of salt i think it helped and it certainly made me feel fitter and my knees now feel as good as they did like 20 years ago that's great um, but i think i think that's largely in part to having it hand in hand with the uh, freestyle skateboarding you know when the pandemic hit i'd been trying to learn freestyle skateboarding for about three months and then i was stuck at home for months yeah. And we were in the middle of a heat wave and I got in a habit of I would be working from home. So I'd do my work and then three, four o'clock, I'd go outside and I would just skate on my patio for like a couple of hours. Yeah. And yeah. And all these tricks. Yeah. And yeah. because it was freestyle was something I'd always fancied doing, but never really understood. Yeah. And there's a supplier in the UK who was getting them in. So I thought I'd, I'd you know, jump in and, and try it. Wasn't sure how it would go. And I really enjoyed doing it. And I think with the lockdown, it's just that small space, flatland. It was just perfectly suited. Mm, mm. And I think in conjunction with the vegan diet to try and help with the recovery of my knees to those relatively small movements. I mean, you know, I've been years and years of push, 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 and then mm. jump down huge sets of steps and all yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, to clarify, you're not pushing the, the deck at all. No, you're no, literally you're standing very on it. Pushing. Yeah. yeah. It's just like tic-tacking and rolling yeah. around, you know, you yeah. can do it in car parks, you can do it in, in the backyard. But um, I think the, the conjunction of the change in diet, and the relatively small movements, but small but repetitive movements of the legs have just built the strength up around my knees. Yeah. And now I am getting pretty good at it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can do stuff. Agreed. I could do stuff that I wouldn't have dreamed I could do like a year, a year and yeah. a half ago. Um, so I, 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 you know, I always loved skateboarding. And I was always blindingly average at it. <laughs> I was always quite hesitant. I was always quite scared of getting hurt. So I would take my time learning things. And I was always like, okay, I was never ru really rubbish, but I was never brilliant. I was always fine. Yeah. Um, but with the freestyle, it just sort of tapped into my sensibilities, the sort of tricks I'd always enjoyed doing anyway. Mm. And, uh, you know, I skated with one of my mates who I've skated with for a long time, a little while ago, and he was watching me do the freestyle. And it was like, it's like, that's just been waiting for you to do it all your life. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, so it did good. kind of feel like yeah. that. It's yeah. like, that's just, it, it's worked for me. Yeah. And I think in terms of, you know, age 44, being able to do stuff like that. Oh. And the fact that I, the fact that I went through a few years, you know, I was, getting back into skating sort of late thirties and I had a pretty bad ankle sprain, which took me about eight months to recover from. And from there it was really, it just became a bit of a painful slog with skateboarding. Like I say, that was where I felt like I wasn't going to skate again. So having been through that, like every single time I'll go out on my board, it doesn't matter if I learn a new trick, the fact that I can go out and play around on my skateboard yeah. is a joy. And yeah, it's something yeah. that I totally don't take for granted anymore. And, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I love doing it. And there's a cool little community in the same way that, like, you know, like with your retro modding community and that sort of thing, there's a great little community with freestyle because it's a very niche part of skateboarding. Yeah. And so I've made loads of good friends with that. And I like posting the clips and sharing and enthusing mm. with those. So, yeah, it's been a really good thing. Skateboarding, I've always loved, but it's like I've fallen in love with it all over again with the, mm. with the freestyle. So, yeah, there's a lot of people who started following me for Game Boys and, 
Neil Advance and all the rest of it. And then uh, it's like just this old guy hopping around on a skateboard every day. It's like, when's he going to post something good? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think back now to your, like you and I are a very similar vintage, you know, skaters like Rodney Mullen, you know, yeah. and, and they're the guys that kind of, there was dudes going big on stair sets, you know, backside 180s and, you know, heel flips and stuff. But Mullen was doing these things like, like dark slides and things where it's like, yeah. what the heck? Um, and it's funny. I saw him and Tony Hawk on something the other day. And I'm like, the dude's old. Like the way Tony Hawk still skates is just. Oh, he's amazing, bonkers. isn't he? He's yeah. just like this yeah. eagle that just knew how to fly and will just always fly. Like, I think this is great though. Cause as a kid, athletes. I was dreamed like, I'd, you know, if I thought I would still be able to skate into my forties, like people didn't do that you know, when I was younger. Whereas yeah. now there is a generation beyond me who are still skating and still ripping. So it's great because I feel like, you know, I've still got quite a Yeah, yeah. You're a young to, fella to when it comes to, to yeah. Yeah, that's it's all right. right. So yeah. you know that's the thing as a as a generational thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. that 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 keeps going. Before so, you yeah, mentioned that before you mentioned um Neon Advance. So we might just so sort of quickly touch on that. I did see that <laughs> yeah. on your webpage. Um uh, explain to us. Uh, so it, it looks like the uh, like the macro. It's half a DS. Yeah, <laughs> As a lot. Of, I got a lot of criticism at the time when that started to blow up, and people were like it's just half a DS. I'm like, yeah, I know, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess these days they're kind of referred to as a macro. Once you, well, it was a macro at the time, right? Um, so yeah, th- so to put it in context, Game Boy Macro um, is uh, a sort of unofficial name given to this particular version of Game Boy Advance because the Nintendo is, DS yeah is you take the top screen system. off and you just go a single yeah. screen there that because it's already got the GBA slot yeah so you've got the GBA slot there you take the top screen off you add a resistor to trick it into thinking that the top screen is still there yep and um, then you can just play Game Boy Advance on it and the main advantage of that at the time was that the Game Boy Advance wasn't backlit and the DS had the lit up screen so yeah you know you modify that and create it and you've got a game boy advance yeah. but in terms of making it because you're removing that top half you're left with this unsightly hinge plastic yeah. bits in there so if you wanted to do a game boy macro it was a case of you do a lot of cutting and removing bits and adding filler and painting and it's sanding standing. it and, uh. and it's a endless process of, of painting and sanding and cutting and filling and and it still end up looking a little bit diy it didn't look Slick yeah. or professional yeah. enough and i was like on a mission to with the original ds it was okay but with the ds light it's really hard to get a nice professional finish to fit with that shape um so i was on a mission to try and find a way of doing it that just wasn't as time consuming i was being lazy basically yeah. and um so i was looking into the options of maybe getting you know this is before the 3d printers were as prolific being able to get things molded like new face plates and things like that yeah and um I'd seen a picture somewhere of someone just put like a little strip of wood or plastic from one hinge to the other. Yeah. I thought, oh, that looks quite cool. And I had some bits of acrylic rod that I'd yeah. bought a while ago for something else. And I thought I'd just cut one of them to size and try and put it in and got it working. It looked quite cool. So I put a picture up on my Instagram and like the first 10 comments were, oh, does it light up? And it's like, no, uh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. um but from there, that kind of sowed the seeds for what eventually became Neon Advance, which is a Game Boy Macro, which retains as much of the original features and aesthetic as possible of the DS Lite. Right. So it keeps the hinges, it keeps all the other parts, right. it keeps a lot of the functionality, but it instead of where the, the hinge was placed, it's got this light up mm. strip 
Um, so there's an LED in there, it lights up the, the plastic strip and it just looks kind of cool. And yeah. getting that working in the first place was quite easy. And then trying to fine tune the process so there was just the right amount of light so that it lights up, it's evenly distributed, but it doesn't give you a headache when you're trying to look at the screen. That was <laughs> yeah. a massive part of the development. Yeah. And yeah. where I'd seen other people doing and making it since, it was like, you can look at it straight away and think, no, that's going to give you a headache. Yeah. Um, but it, I did it like as a whole project. So I got totally into it. I was enjoying making them. I was aware of the fact that it was it was just like a recycled console, yeah. um, but I did it like a whole art project. So I got into it and, and came up with a name for it and designed a logo and designed packaging and started selling its friends and getting feedback. And then um, I was about to get an article on Nintendo Life website uh, about it. And then I did a tweet just before that, that went live that was just like sharing a few pictures of it on Twitter. And then that just absolutely blew up. So yeah, it was, it was one of my things on my bucket list to have a tweet go viral, and that one definitely went viral. What in, um, a, in a positive way, or? Oh god, yeah, yeah, it was, oh, right. it, was it was awesome. So I ended up having like interviews and pieces on things like Forbes and wow. Kotaku and Mashable. Uh, did a whole piece on their Snapchat, and I ended up with a massive influx of people through that. And it was just like, yeah, everything really blew up. Um, I wasn't really prepared for it at the time, but it was a really exciting time because I'd been modding Game Boys for years um, and kind of got a little bit of a, a reputation for that, mainly in the chiptune community. But this was just like, yeah, it was massive. It was really exciting. So are you still doing these and like selling them? And <laughs> No, because I'm stupid. anybody else like because the people are still regularly messaging me asking, are you still making them? Are you still doing them? I want to buy one. And I'm just not a business person at all. Yeah, like I was yeah. making them and I, I made a whole art project and each one was always different and I'd post it on my page and then I'd yeah. sell it and that'd be good because then I could buy more parts and do more. Yeah. And then other things came along and distracted me and I just kind of mm. stopped doing them. But I keep planning to, and I've not said, you know, like with the skateboarding, it's like I never say I've quit things. I just have breaks from things. I, I tend to go led by my, um, my mojo. So it's wh whatever... I am enjoying doing it at the time. Yeah. I embrace it. And if something feels like it's a chore or I'm forcing yeah. it, there's no point wasting my life on that. That's it. Um, when you look so I am. I'm, yeah. I'm still planning on doing more, but I'll have to wait till the bug bites and then I'll I'll continue doing more. But yeah, yeah I'm sure it's frustrating for people who think they're really cool and, and want me to do more. Yeah. And yeah, anybody else, the fact that people are waiting to buy them, it seems daft to not make them and, and sell them. But I'm I'm more driven by the process. I like I like making. I like tinkering about with things. Yeah. And so I'll get into doing one thing. Um, if if my heart's not in it, the, the end result, I'm never as proud of it. Um, so like at the moment, what I'm mainly into is playing around with adding in other things to the music. So as well as the LSDJ, playing around with synchronizing that with our exterior exterior stuff like like drum machines and that kind of thing and effects. Um, yeah. I'm also into my YouTube channel that started about a year ago, and um, that's been steadily building and i'm quite enjoying the process of learning how to make videos how to edit videos as well as the things i'm actually doing within the videos so you know i would i would spend ages making and building stuff and then posting the end result on instagram yeah. whereas now i'm filming the actual process and and sharing that which is joe, a, joe teach a different outlook on it yeah yeah, yeah. teaching again so yeah. that was i always felt like there was not a place for me on youtube i felt like youtube was really saturated 
with content in terms of modding, in terms of retro gaming. So yeah. I thought I'm just, I'm not even going to make a dent. I may as well just continue with what I'm doing and what I'm going well with on, on Instagram and so yeah. on. But then I found whenever I was trying to find tutorials and stuff like that, there is some great content on YouTube, but a lot of it is either someone who's just got no charisma slowly going through and explaining things badly yeah. or someone who's just like too hyper and in your face and okay and then we're doing this and then we're doing yeah, that and it's like yeah. I, I just couldn't cope with that either yeah. and then i was thinking well if there is not a video that's in the style that i want to see then maybe there is a bit of a, a gap there yeah and yeah. then when i started thinking about doing my own videos i thought well i'm a teacher i've got those those presentation skills i can mm -hmm. communicate things mm -hmm. quite effectively i know my stuff in terms of the, the mods and things like that and i'm quite happy to laugh at myself if things go wrong so <laughs> yeah i'll give it a go so i cobbled together bits and pieces of i mean it's the usual approach with me i didn't go out and buy a whole load of fancy cameras and editing equipment and everything else i just fudged together what i had and started making a few videos and then yep. gradually got the hang of it as i go the only investment i've made is um i got a macbook but it was like it was a 2012 macbook and i put a solid state driving it and that's yep. enough for me to do iMovie so I can edit yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, Because with yeah. the Windows laptop I had editing was just a frustrating nightmare and I kept losing things. So yeah. Yeah. So that was like 250 quid or something for that. And that's about the most investment I've had on me my YouTube channel. Most of what I spend the money on is the parts that I'm actually using in my videos. Oh that's good. <laughs> you know, that's if, good. if I'm installing screens and things like that. Yeah. And you so, and, yeah, the, the YouTube's the latest hobby that helps drive the other hobbies as well because I'm you know, for each video I make, I'll be trying out something else or demoing something or yep. modding something or, or whatever. So, yeah, it's quite a nice one to keep the mojo going with my my other hobbies. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, it just shows that, you know, you can you can think that maybe you don't have something to offer. Um, but if you don't find what you want, that may be what you have to offer. <laughs> that was that, Yeah, that was the little revelation there. It's like, well... If I make the videos that I want to see, there might be other people who like that. And it's been a steady growth. I mean, you know, there's, there's so much people on YouTube now that have got like, you know, millions of followers, of, of subscribers and all mm -hmm. that sort of thing. That, you know, it's all in perspective. Like, you know, some of the kids at school go, oh, you've got a YouTube channel. And you're like, yeah. And oh, how many subs have you got? And I'm like, I, was, uh, I think it's like two and a half. And they're like, two and a half thousand. Wow. And I'm like... I thought that was quite low and they're like, no, no, that's, that's really good. I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it's not, it's, it's enough that I tend to get a bit of um, interaction. It was always the interaction that I liked on Instagram yeah. is the comment section of chatting and discussing and sharing ideas. And uh, I think with YouTube, I've got enough traction now that when I put a video on, it doesn't just sit there and I, I get like three views over a few months. It goes on. And over the next few days, I have a little bit of a chat and a discourse with people leaving comments. And, yeah. and that's that's quite nice. I like that. I like that interaction with people. Yeah. You know, um, before we came on, you you were saying about like in terms of having friends and doing things like the podcast to talk to like minded people. Yeah. And I think in real life, you can have a whole load of friends and people you work with and people you see all the time. But when we're into these nerdy niche hobbies yeah that you know people will just generally kind of humor you with it but you won't often get to talk to people about it yeah and i found that with things like instagram you can tap into a whole community of like-minded people the likes of which you could never do before the internet you know yeah. loads and loads of people who are into this really geeky niche thing that you're into and yeah you can, yeah you know, get excited about it together all day is yeah. it's, um, it's really good and i think youtube's a, a further outlet for that as well
Yeah, and it's really great because, like, for my own personal experience, that through Instagram and through the podcast, like, I've met um, a couple of people around here, uh, Gav Nostek and Tristan Custom Handhelds, and they all live within 10 minutes of me. Yeah. And, like, tomorrow we're going to go, I'm going to book a library room. Um, we've done it once before. I'm taking a couple of consoles. I got a projector, and we're going to hang out for oh, four wow. hours. But this is yeah, happening. Be good. This is happening because of this community, which I've found through Instagram and through the podcast and stuff. Yeah, so real friends yeah. can you be just, made. You just never would yeah. have been able to make, even no. if they did live locally. You never would have known, would you? So no, no, not at all. Uh, it's really great for that. Yeah, yeah. it is really great. Awesome. Uh, and look, speaking of good people in the community, I, I always give um, my guests an opportunity to kind of whether it be plug someone that need that could do with a bit of spotlight or just recommend stuff. Um, I, every episode I sort of find someone, um, my person I'm going to sort of bring up this time is uh, it's game boy three Chud. And I hope Chud is like that crazy eighties movies about movie, about the things that lived in the sewer. Cause if that's true, um, that's like bonus points. Um, <laughs> but game boy three Chud, it's just one of those um, sort of Instagram where it's just a lot of really good collecting and really good enjoying of Game Boys and uh, just pickups and just, you know, just I just see a lot I like. And uh, I would encourage anybody who's just trawling around, go over and th- these are always in the show notes. Um, yeah, and just check out his uh, his content and just sometimes you forget about a game or you, you know a game and you forget the name of it and you're like, what the hell was that? And you're just flicking <laughs> through someone's, you're like, Oh, that's what that's called. That was it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then also there's the envy of like, uh, like here he's got this micro with a couple of little handles that go on either side of the micro, which means an adult can actually use the micro. Um, just <laughs> without little, the cramps. With, without the cramps, <laughs> just little things like that. So that, that that's for me this week. Thank you, mate, for sharing, um, you know, your collection and stuff. And, and, and yeah, so you, you have the opportunity. Sometimes people just say, look, everybody's great. There's so many millions of people and um, it, it's up to you. Um, so I'll give you the opportunity. That is the thing. You always, you always live in fear of missing people out, don't you, when you, yeah. you start with stuff like that. And I think I've been on Instagram since, I think it's around 2012, as far back as I can remember. I think I've been on it before that. So I've been on there for a long, long time. And a yeah. lot of people have influenced me along the way. And there's loads of people now. But the one that I, because, you know, I could call out so many different people and then afterwards think oh God, i forgot about them i forgot about them but the one i, I did want to mention was um pure function right. because he's developed uh the drone boy which is the latest thing i've been playing with on the yeah, game boy I saw that so part. i've been i've been making music on game boys for years using lsdj um and this is a, a whole new and it's a really accessible bit of software as well um, to just make noise so it's not melodic by any stretch of the imagination it basically those four sound channels that we were talking about before they continuously run and you just kind of alternate the sound levels and the parameters on those right. and it just has a general drone going on but running it through effects or running it at the same time as other music and things or just tinkering about with it and, and getting to understand those different channels of sound on the game boy is great mm-hmm. and it's He's kind of been showing it on his Instagram, which is pure function, but with a three instead yep. of an E. P-U-R-3 um, function, yep. Yeah, and I've been kind of following its development, and then it finally released. So I did like a, a demo video on my YouTube recently as well with it, and I really love it just in terms of a, a music toy to play with and to give people an understanding of what those channels of sound 
uh, without the complexity of LSDJ. And the fact that he's released it as a free bit of software, you know, you can run it on BGP yeah. on an emulator if you want to try it out. Or yep. if you've got a Game Boy with a flash cart or an EverDrive, you can just pop it yep. on there and have a tinker about with it. And I think the fact that he's developed this and released it for nothing, I think that's well worth a shout out. And I'm trying to point as many people in the direction of it as possible, because the more people play with it, the more people get creative with it, the more people have good ideas of things we can try out. And then it sort of develops a, a community. And I think it's quite exciting in a community where that's been, it's, it's been LSDJ and there's another one called Nanoloop, which are your main music making bits of software on the Game Boy. And to have something new come along that's completely different that you can mm. do new things with, I think is is really exciting. So yeah. I've been I've, playing with that a lot. So definitely a, a shout out for that bit of software and that. No that worries. Page. I've just gone to his like little Instagram link and then into his page there in Drone Boy, and and then that pushes you to a GitHub, and there it is. You just yeah. There's a DroneBoy.gbs, and I have flashcards aplenty. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll admit that you know when you're talking about um, LSDJ. Uh, I don't like steep learning curves um, <laughs> as much as I would love to give it a See, crack. See, I do. I'm a masochist with that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but something like this sounds like if I could sit there and just sort of go all tubular bells on it, then um, yeah, definitely. I, I could probably have a great time. Mm. That's awesome, buddy. Uh, and if, look, if there's any other organizations or any things that you're doing that you're bringing up or whatever, then now's the opportunity. But if you're, if you're kind of done, then uh, like I really do appreciate your time and we can sort of wrap it up there if you like. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, you know, again, it's one of those, I'll always think afterwards, oh, why did I not mention that? Why did I not mention that? But yeah, yeah. I just, it's, it's the usual, whatever I do, whatever, I'm quite impulsive with these things. And I'll, I'll just, I don't think I've got anything else exciting coming up. This podcast was the exciting thing I had coming up. Oh, thank you, mate. It's pretty, pretty so, exciting yeah, for me too. Like, to <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, like, again, I don't want to get so fanboy, but I do want to give you some respect in that, like when I first started getting into sort of modding and looking at Game Boys and working out what, what they are, because I was 110% blown away by the level of support and shells and parts and this and just people doing it and what people are doing with it. And every time I jump mm -hmm. on YouTube, I'm like, how do I do the blah, blah? And then you would come up somewhere or if I Google <laughs> it's so something, exciting, I Google yeah. something as like you would come up in there somewhere and, you know, plenty yeah. of people talk about this and, and Joe bleeps. And I think, um, you know, to see you kind of just take things and just really push it and give it a good go and then move on and, and enjoy and just always enjoy. That's probably the key so point. It's, it's definitely the process. It's all, everything's always about the process for me. The end result usually just sits and gathers dust because I'm on to the next thing, but it's yeah. that process of going through and doing, and yeah, you face problems, but then you yeah. solve the problems and you become more confident and your knowledge expands. And yeah. then, you know, you were saying like with the Game Boys that there's a, a massive amount of all this stuff on the market now that you could get. When I first started it's getting bonkers, into modding eh? Game Boys, there was very little, there was the odd, you know colored shell that you could get there were the little backlight panels that you dismantle the led and slot those in there yeah. and over the years more and more and more and more stuff has, has come about so i'm lucky in a way that i've been able to avoid all that becoming so overwhelming because i've just been trying it out as each new thing comes along you yeah, know? i've yeah. got a good background knowledge of where it came from and how the hardware works yeah, to a large yeah. extent that you know, when something new comes along now, I'm quite confident of going in and cutting up because I've, I've been there and I've, you know, yeah. I've done it all before. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a new screen every three weeks. Um, oh, it's crazy, isn't it? I, some of the people I've spoken to and I looked through the Instagram and they were doing like, um, you know, the backlot DMGs with biverts and stuff. And I've done yeah, one myself. It, it, it's a bit, <laughs> it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit stressful because if you wreck it, you've wrecked it. Um, yeah. You know, if you're actually doing that, uh, I, it's before we were talking about, um, uh, the mods and regions and pals on 50 and 60. I don't know yeah. if you're aware that the X station for the PS one, I sold, oh, yeah, I sold that. that in and you've got to lift a bunch of pins off this chip. It's good. It's 80 pins around a chip. That's about the size of your thumbnail. And I don't have the eyes <laughs> I used to. It was really challenging, like really, really, really yeah. challenging. And it was only a sort of a $65 secondhand PlayStation, but I still felt yeah, but this. it's everything at the time, That's isn't it? Right. You know, I felt this it's pressure. not just how much that cost. It's like no. I have to succeed with this. That's yeah. exactly right. I didn't yeah. want to feel that I'd wasted something because if I'd screwed that, if I'd lift the wrong pin, because those pins are like you apply heat to them and you hear them, you'd hear them kind of squeak, and you're like, quick, lift it, but don't lift it too yeah. far, but you got to lift it enough. <laughs> and don't lift the one next to it, but you got to leave the one on the other side down. Like so much stress on myself to just not destroy this thing that's been on the earth since the day it was made and I'm yeah. about to potentially make it redundant. Yeah. You've got a certain responsibility, haven't you? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you know, like this, I really saw that a lot of the, these are sort of IPS for DMGs is they're a great thing because you can take the original board out, put in a bag right on it from the red play it loud, shove it in the cupboard, slide the new one in and everything's fantastic. Yeah, and, and I've got I've got years behind me of modding these Game Boys, and sometimes the LCD would die. But I'm a hoarder, and I put all these things in a drawer. So now it's like these Game Boys where I'd knackered up the screen. It's okay because I can take that part out. I can get the new IPS screen and drop yeah. it in, and now yeah. you can you can use them again. Yeah. So suddenly all these um, rear motherboards are becoming very valuable where no one was really bothered before because it was all about the screen. Yeah. Now you can have this new front board that you can buy. So it's like right, okay. So all I need is a rear board, but the prices on these things now yeah, are just yeah. sky high. I mean, it, when I was first getting into modding, I had a policy. I wasn't, I know I would never pay more than five pounds for a game boy. Oh, goodness. So I would scour eBay, You're buy done. faulty ones. And uh, yeah, so those days are long gone. Yeah. And, you know, going around car boot sales and buying up all the cheap consoles. See, that was good. I used to be like really into car booting before mobile internet was a thing. So right. I would know my stuff. So I'd be able to go around and I'd be like, Ooh, Mega Drive, I get that. Yeah, oh, and, and that yeah. game's quite rare. Oh, Streets of Rage Three, that's a really rare one. So yeah. I would know my stuff because I was really into it. Whereas yeah. now people Everybody do the knows. research on the fly. Yeah. They'll see a bunch of games, they'll look them up on eBay on their phone, and they'll buy the valuable ones. And that that those kind of days of treasure yeah. hunting yeah. are behind us. But they were fun times. But even and the people selling too much stuff anyway. <laughs> even the people selling at the car boot sale, they kind of like. Oh yeah, yeah. They know they'll what say, they're oh, no, doing that's now. Fifteen quid on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but this isn't eBay. This is a paddock somewhere. Yeah. That's um, it. It's like, I just bought a sausage. Like, come on, let's let's be real here. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, look, I, I've, All right. I, I really do appreciate taking up nearly an hour and a half of your time. Um, Was it that long, really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's your Saturday. Oh, I it. Don't worry. Um, uh, I really do appreciate you so taking the time out. Uh, look, I really hope that we get to um, chat again sometime. Yeah, um, I think that'd be good. Yeah, I'm going to sort of see if I can find some of your tunes. I sort of feel like, Unless I can hear tunes through a massive PA, so it makes my hair stand up, I'm never yeah. quite gonna understand. But I'm gonna try, and I, I'm yeah, definitely well, gonna go. When the live shows all start up again, um, there's a, a festival in Australia called Square Sounds, and you can get yourself to that one. Oh, okay. Is that a very specific kind of 
eight bit festival. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna look that up too, just in case, because there's a lot of little things going on that, you know, like say for example, there's big comedy clubs that got shut down, but these mm. comedians are still out in smaller venues that have got less restrictions because they're a smaller venue. So sometimes yeah. if you look at that, they'll be like, it'll link you to something, and you can go over there. You might there might not be a 150 person gig somewhere but there might be 30 people meeting in a town hall or uh, something somewhere yeah. and well, you it's might always worth trying to find out isn't it, it. Mm. yeah all right dude thank you so much okay. fantastic to meet you uh you really, too, really do appreciate your time and um we'll keep following and uh see what joe believed comes up with next <laughs> yeah you and me both all right, all right buddy. thanks very much thanks bud. All right. bye bye